What's good, guys? Scoobert Dubert here. I want to talk about Coachella. So I just got back from the music festival and saw a few of my friends perform. Um, some, you know, front of stage, some back of stage, side hand stuff. And I want to talk about kind of like the takeaways that I had from that music festival and the way that it's changing how I'm thinking about my music moving forward and maybe how it could affect the way you listen to music, the way that you create music, whatever you may do. This is Love Music More. So it was Music Appreciation 101, hence the intro. Uh, but we've, I've, I've changed it a little bit to Love Music More as the, as the title of this podcast because that is the goal of it to get you to love music more. Um, if you haven't rated and subscribed and all that good stuff, I would invite you to follow the podcast now so you always get an update. And we'll have more guests and stuff like that moving forward, but solo pod today to talk about Coachella. So um, first takeaway, I noticed that there, there are a lot of through lines in the ways that you perform for a festival at that size. And I also thought it was interesting because this festival is live streamed and a ton of people tune into the live stream. So what it, it gave the impression of like Super Bowl halftime shows. And what I mean by that is that it's it's like that dual performance for the people in the audience, but also for the people at home. So the production value, all these things are keeping video in mind, which is really fascinating. The other thing is that a bunch of different genres are represented. And I went to a bunch of different shows, a bunch of different genres. But there are certain things that everybody does. And like some of them are, are kind of cliches, but they work and they're cliches for a reason. There are things that people do. So perfect example is like, how are you feeling out there? Yeah. I said, how are you feeling? Yeah. And you hype up the crowd. And a lot of times they do that right before one of their big songs. So that it like kind of builds this wave of momentum and buy-in and focus from your audience before you drop something that they really, really want. So it creates a little bit of that tension and release that we talk about in music, but doing that just with like crowd interplay. Um, same thing with, you know, throwing your hands up and jumping, all this kind of stuff, the audience participation side or sing-alongs, you know, teaching people lyrics. One of the cool things that I saw was on the big screens, you know, people are starting to put more lyrics up there so that people can sing along um, and, and maybe highlight some stuff that they always sing the lyrics wrong or they don't know what, that's, what that part is and they put that up on the big screen. I, I find that really, um, really interesting. And so that's one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fo thinking about for my own visuals or like, what are ways to, um, you know, engage the crowd in that way so that you're not just like drifting to your phone or talking to your friends, that audience is right there with you as a performer. The other thing is that these shows, you know, these stages are big. And so the energy is really, really important. And it's funny, like when you have a headlining show or you're playing in a club or a theater or whatever, and people come to that with the expectation of your music. When you are at a festival, sure, like they're coming to your tent with the expectation of your music, or maybe they've heard one or two songs or heard you on a playlist and they're like, oh, let's check out that set. Are they cool? But not only are you competing for those like, you know, people that are bought in, people that are sort of bought in, people that just maybe casually know one or one or two songs and drifted over because they had nothing else to do. You're competing with the sets before and after you. And so what that does is it's like an arms race of energy. <laughs> and so even chill artists like um, like Boy Genius, you know, they're they play very acoustic folk, you know, kind of sad, sad music. Um, 
they have to add like these big rock moments to just match that baseline energy. And it's really fun as an as a f- audience member, as a festival goer, because all of this adds to that experience of like one punch after another punch after another punch and all builds. The other thing too is we're like, as like indie musicians, we're also competing against DJs and DJs bring so much energy because that's basically their whole thing is like really good sound, really good lights, ton of energy. And so then when we're like going up trying to do a guitar solo or doing whatever, you kind of got to add that juice so that people don't drift over to the DJ tent for that party instead. So that was kind of interesting to see. It's interesting to see people, especially in my genre, like, you know, like a Remy Wolf or, um, you know, Muna, both of which I, you know, did classes with in college, um, see, see what they've transformed into. And it's, it's really inspiring because I remember them in college as, you know, just like anybody talented, but just a, you know, normal kind of teenage person. And now they're these like mega pop star personalities. And obviously they, they had great personalities. They had that in them, but the way that they bring it out and the way that the audience in the format shapes the performer as much as the performer shapes the other is really fascinating and inspiring. Cause it's like, how do you rise to meet that moment? How do you go up to that next tier of personality and performer? It's funny too, like one of the things I've noticed as people get um, bigger and bigger, and maybe you hear it in my my voice too, but their voices change to fit, uh, I don't know what it is exactly, but like as you do more recordings, you kind of end up finding more quirks in your voice and bringing those out. So like you listen to early version to later version and the later version is just dripping with personality. Or like Like even like, you know, somebody that's like Michael Jackson, who's always was this amazing singer. Like think about Michael Jackson as a kid, as a teenager, and then Michael Jackson as superstar. And Michael Jackson as superstar has just got so much vibe and personality to his vocal and to his feel and to every thing about his dancing and his stage presence. And obviously all of that was there from being a kid, but it's like iron sharpening iron, diamonds sharpening diamonds. It over time, you end up becoming this version of yourself that's in some ways unrecognizable from where you started. And it's cool to, I don't know, from my perspective, see the actualization of that from people that are in my past as one thing. And then I see them on the stage at Coachella as another. And it's like, okay, I can, I can sort of understand how they charted their course. And then by seeing their course, maybe be able to chart my own. All of that to say, Try to find other people in your lives that have grown in that way. And, and if you're looking for growth, like maybe identify their growth and see like how have they changed? How has this collection of experiences developed them? And then see how you can apply those experiences and be very much of that moment. Soak it all up so that you can take it to the next stage yourself. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's the reason why, you know, big reason why I went. I wanted to see my friends. I wanted to see how they, how they grew. It's also interesting too. I, you know, I did a lot of, um, side, side man, side musician work, um, and playing guitar. I've had some people on the podcast, quite a few people on the podcast that, that do, um, side person stuff. And that, that world is very different because you are intentionally kind of behind the scenes. Um, but looking at somebody like Gio, who, um, 
plays bass for Muna. And he's got he's developed as a sideman to meet the personality and energy of the band, where he ha- he picks his moments to really roam around the stage and hype up the crowd and do his stuff. And he picks his moments to go way back in the background. And I think that's interesting where like everybody's playing a certain role. And I think the, the most fascinating thing for me in this project is reclaiming the idea of being like a front person. But my, my music isn't like diva pop singer. My music is like stoner disco. <laughs> so it's like, okay, what is that front person like doing? Like, and how do I fit that archetype? Because it's a, it's a different kind of archetype. And I guess like you could look at a Tame Impala, but I'm not exactly that psychedelic. I just kind of look like him <laughs> just a little bit. Um, he's better looking at him. And then you could like look at other, you know, other people like maybe Mac DeMarco or whatever. But in, in these, these festival situations, I feel like Remy Wolf is a really good example of somebody that just like pulls you in, but obviously way bigger, bolder voice than I have. So it's just kind of fun, like navigating and charting those, those waters. And that this is the way that it, it is hitting, hitting in my head. The other thing that I noticed is that quirks, you know, quirky stuff about you can scale. And so this is something that like, I, you know, I've, I've been drifting a little bit on just to be totally honest, where I have a certain like aesthetic of music videos and things that I've made and the reception to them has been good, but it hasn't been like, you know, like, oh my God, you got to keep doing that. So there's this this impulse as an artist, especially in the modern age to divert your attention from some of the stuff that people aren't hyping up and put it all in the place that people are hyping up, which is part of the reason why I make so much music rather than making so many videos. But one of the things I was gathering from Coachella was there's some weird visuals and some weird stuff that when it's on the big stage, it all starts to make sense. And so it was a good moment for me to be like, okay, the weird stuff that I'm doing will set me apart, regardless if people like it now or not. It's like build up the music, get the audience, get on the big stage, and then show them the weird crap you make on YouTube. And so I'm going to make that, I'm going to keep making that weird crap and devote some more resources to it. I need to get, you know, a little bit more music done because I always try to stay roughly two months ahead of schedule with my release cycle. And I'm only six weeks ahead of schedule. So I got to get at least one more single done so then I can, you know, build in that buffer because I don't want to get blindsided by getting sick or losing my voice or whatever, like I did not too long ago. So uh, once I do that, then I'm, I, I think I'm going to go back around to, to develop my quirks my weird little things. And it was fun, like seeing Blink-182, you know, the song that they opened their set with is just literally just swear words. And it was like, that was, it's obviously, it's not like their hit, but it is, uh, it sums up like their ethos of a, as a band. Like, this is what they're about. They're about making you uncomfortable. They're about, you know, dick jokes and poop jokes and sex jokes. And they, they are, embodying like immaturity and fun and chaos like they they talked about it their music being like nursery rhymes on meth it's like that is a really cool way to be like okay that's how they encapsulate their band that's the nucleus of what they've got going on what is the nucleus of mine and like how would i open a set that's not necessarily just like here's the most popular song but instead is like here's what you just got yourself into (laughs) you know Welcome to the rabbit hole. Welcome to that Scoobert verse. Let's go.
Um, same thing on that. Uh, one of the things that I've been, I've been doing a lot with, with Max, at, uh, um, who does my videos and he was on the pod earlier, Max Horwich, he, um, and I are both very into low poly art. So low poly art, like think like N64, Nintendo, you know, nineties, uh, graphics where they look like the top end of computer rendering from a bygone era. So cool. And I'm seeing more and more of that. I saw it with Grammy stuff. I saw it at Coachella. It is, it is building. And that's been something that we've been on, on for a while. So it's like, that's one of the quirks that I think we need to continue to develop because it's, it's developing around us and we need to have our own voice in it. Um, same thing with like fashion. So fashion has been really, was a really fascinating thing. I know that Coachella sometimes gets a bad rap because everybody's there to like take pictures and stuff. Um, but from an artist's perspective, it's really, really cool to see what people are choosing to be seen in. Like what is the vibe that they're trying to encapsulate? It's, it's, it sounds shallow, but it really isn't because it's like, okay, what is, what is in the air here? And Coachella is a really good place. Probably the best place I've ever been to catch those vibes because it's not just like, you know, the times I've spent in LA where everybody's all dripped up and looking cool, but it's different and it's also hot. So you have limited fashion choices. Some people don't, some people wear like their thick coats and they look like they're dying, but for the sake of fashion, they do it. Um, but what I, what I noticed, obviously girls are way, are doing way more than guys right now. Um, which is, I'm a little disappointed. It's like, come on guys, like step it up, like have a little more fun. Everybody's just wearing a Hawaiian shirt. It's like, nah, come on. You know, <laughs> you can do better than that. It doesn't have to be expensive, but like go, go thrift shopping and get something going. Um, but uh, especially women and, and some, some cool looking dudes, there, there was like a different set of self-expression and color. Um, not to mention like a lack of shame, freedom, embracing your body, all this stuff that was, it felt really inspiring to me. It was like, you know, just do, do what you want. And I think part of it is coming out of that pandemic is like, I'm not going to dress the way that like people tell me to dress or like, I'm just going to buy off the rack at Macy's. Like, I'm going to dress myself like a, like a, like a video game character. Like <laughs> what, what would I buy in downloadable content on a video game? I'm going to kind of do the same thing on my body. And so I, I'm trying to unlock that too. It's like fun stuff, stuff that makes people smile. And it's not just about my music. It's like about life. You know, what, how can I bring some colorful chaos and, and fun to an environment? And that was what I was trying to do, um, with what I was wearing, you know, it doesn't need to be the fanciest stuff, but if, if I can make, you know, 10, 15 people smile and come up to me and be like, yo, you've got a Savannah bananas Jersey or, um, Alex Caruso, black Mamba Jersey from the bubble championship. Um, or, you know, uh, 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 Brian Jones, who's the guitarist for, um, Paramore. And he played on some of my, um, stuff that I made with the previous project. He, um, he made a clothing company, Brian Robert Jones. He's wearing some of his crazy stuff that's like Wilco band shirts, but they're totally chaos. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's like bringing some of that fun, that state of play, just to the way you present yourself. I really appreciate that. And I want to invite, invite people to do that too. Um, some of the other stuff that I thought was, uh, like a good kind of takeaway was seeing the, the video side of it 
and so my grandpa, he recorded a bunch of, um, the live stream so I can watch that later. And like Rosalia, Rosalia is probably the, um, the best example of doing all this cool video stuff where she was bringing like a, a camcorder around that was hooked up, setting up her own shots as she was playing. It felt very, um, intimate and edgy and different and then intercutting kind of these more amateur things with these more professional things it's just like a really cool mix and I was really inspired by that so I can't wait to watch back on that tape and see how the visual side of music is is evolving and I actually find this more interesting than seeing the way that like music videos are evolving because like that's, that's kind of a separate form but the way that live music is being filmed the way that that's changing that was very, very present in Coachella. And it's cool to, to be on both sides of it, you know, like you can watch the concert DVD sort of thing that you were sitting in the audience for a lot more um, opportunity to learn. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much my my Coachella journey. Some of the stuff that I took away. Um, I've got to go back. That was the other takeaway. And I really want to play there. And so thinking about that from the wanting to play their side, it's like, okay, how do you make music that could fit that environment? And I got to say it's simpler. Not that it's more basic, but that there's less stuff going on. There's, there are moments where it's like crazy drum fill or crazy guitars or whatever. But on the whole, a lot of this stuff is like maybe one funk guitar and a bunch of other people that are laying it down, maybe a really dope percussionist, a great horn section. They, they were sparing nothing in terms of budget and personnel, but the arrangements themselves were built for a large stage. And sometimes I think that there is a um, over-reliance on the amount of tracks that we have in digital recording where we just throw all of the paint against the wall. But honestly, the stuff, the little tiny details with like little meow, whatever, it doesn't really matter that much live. Sometimes it's cool. And if it has the right moment built around it, it's fantastic. But these little tiny sprinkles, they kind of get washed away. What doesn't get washed away, drum and bass. Oh my God, drum and bass are so important, whether they're in the track or live. And one of the challenges that I have at my stage of my career is when you put, put drum and bass in the track, they never turn the track up loud enough. But if you have a drummer and a bass player in the room, they are going to be loud just by virtue of the setup. So that's something that has given me pause because if I, if I was able to do tracks the way that everybody at Coachella was able to do tracks, the stuff would sound huge, but there's no way a sound guy is going to turn me up. Sound person is going to turn me up that much. It's, uh, it's, it's built into the personnel. So it's like, okay, drum and bass is everything for that big of a stage, that big of a groove. And then the vocal is everything. And so it's like the guitar, all these other things, they're ornamentation, which is kind of weird. And except for the, the rare moments where a guitar takes like a big riff or a solo or whatever. But just in general, it is, it is like kind of what I've built this project around with drum and bass and vocal and then guitar as the, the top part. Um, that's what everybody else at Coachella that was very successful and sounding really good was doing. And they were also keeping these really straightforward, not letting stuff get in the way of that vocal, not letting stuff get in the way of that groove, inclusive of bass. It's like groove and vocal, everything else comes around that center of gravity. 
And so it's, that, that's like helping me focus some of my future arranging is if I want to do stuff on that stage, I need to do stuff that can sound really good, loud, aggressive, you know, almost rock bandy doesn't need to be necessarily released and recorded that way, but could be like interpreted that way. Does that make sense? Like, you know how like a Super Bowl halftime show, they'll add all these big rock moments or big gospel chops, like kind of stuff on drums. Those are added, not necessarily in the recording, but you have to have a good enough song and a song that's kind of built in a way that can scale up to the stadium size. It doesn't have to sound like freaking, I don't know, Led Zeppelin to do that. But keeping that in mind, keeping the idea of like rearranging a song so it can be in a bigger space is it something that hasn't crossed my crossed my mind enough and you bet it's in my mind now. And maybe that's something that could help arrangers out there too is like think about, you know, if you have a million notes, a million little things, a t- bunch of tiny hi-hats, a ton of doubles and and panning and all this crazy stuff, that kind of puts you in a club kind of puts you in a theater doesn't really scale that much like perfect example I've, i see i saw um i've seen some jazz some like really intricate hip-hop kind of jazz stuff that sounded awesome in a small club and sounded terrible on a festival stage take with that what you will doesn't necessarily mean the jazz is bad for a festival but there's a certain type of jazz like dinner party that works awesome on a festival stage but it's like it's it's kind of built for it it's built for that party and so keeping that in mind of like there's a reason why people say oh let's write a festival banger or let's make a big tent record like let's do these things is that you almost have to think about the venue in which it's going to be played in the same way that like a baroque musician would think like is this a chamber piece that's supposed to be played in a small chamber or is this like a requiem that's going to be in a huge church with tons of echo keeping those things in mind help make those help you make those arranging decisions and understand the scale of the product that you're trying to make and the place that you're trying to put it in. Obviously it doesn't have to be completely that way because you can rearrange stuff for live, but keeping the idea of rearranging stuff for live can will ultimately make me make different decisions for the record. And yeah, I'm going to say that's where I'm going to leave it. If you want to check out my music, uh, go to scubertdubert.pizza. You can find all my links or search scubertdubert. If you enjoyed this pod, love music more, hit me a, uh, a follow, a, a like, a subscribe, whatever. And uh, be sure to rate it because that rating really helps uh, people find the pod and helps the algorithms and whatnot uh, recommend it to people. So stick around for some more stuff next week be digging into some other things and getting some really cool guests on here pretty soon we'll be talking stuff like ai recording engineering and you know maybe even photography so we've got some we got some fun things that can show different angles of the artistic process visually and creatively and auditorily orally for music itself hope this helped you love music more see ya